Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. Unfortunately, Alex Duvall, Patrick Brennan, and Drake Downing, other guys you've heard on this podcast, could not join me on this episode. However, we have a great interview with Nick Folaris, the co-founder of 2080 Baseball and the director of, of amateur evaluation over at the site. He came on for about 15 to 20 minutes uh, to talk about the Royals draft class that finished up last week, namely Bobby Witt Jr., but we also talked about some other guys that he's pretty high on and some other guys that we could expect to be some names uh, to look for in the system later this season and beyond. You know, this is an exciting time for the Royals organization, adding in new guys to the system, and it's exciting for us at Royals Farm Report to be able to bring you as much news and as much information about these guys as we can. Before we get into this interview, there will be a quick break from a sponsor. Uh, we Also, we can't thank you guys enough for your support since we've moved over to the Royals Review uh, SB Nation podcast network in the, on their channel. Uh, be sure to leave a like and be sure to rate on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And we will be back soon after this break from a sponsor. Now I am joined by Nick Folaris. He is the co-founder of 2080 Baseball as well as the director of amateur valuation. And he's going to talk to us about kind of just a little recap of the Royals draft and kind of the way that things that things fell at the Major League Baseball draft last week. Nick, how's it going? Thanks for joining me. Oh, going well, Joel. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking some Royals draft here. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with the, you know, the easiest topic here, Bobby Witt Jr. going number two overall to the Royals. Uh, this is one of the more highly touted guys that they've gotten in recent drafts and you know, the top prep guy, they got their guy that they had been uh, linked to for three or more months, if not longer than that, by different publications when it came to the mock drafts. But now it shifts, now that he's going uh, going to be in the Royals organization, where do you think he falls on uh, prospect rankings, especially at 2080, but just in general? Do you think he's a uh, top 20 guy, top 50? What are you thinking? Oh, it's a good question. So, um, I guess looking at overall rankings first, he's certainly a top 50 guy for me. Uh, the top high school guy last year was Jared Kelnick. He was 36 on our, uh, our most recent top 125 ranking, which came out in April. Uh, I could see Witt certainly in that range. I think folks that are really bullish on him could probably push him into the top 25 overall, especially with, um, with graduations right now uh, from the minor leagues to the majors, some folks were no longer eligible. We tend to be a little bit more um, conservative in how we initially rank our high school players, especially high school hitters. But uh, for me, uh, certainly a surefire top 50 prospect. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't really roll my eyes at all if you wanted to push for him being in that uh, 25 to 35 range, which is where we had uh, Kalanick in April. Yeah, I think I saw Jonathan Mayo did a mailbag over at MLB Pipeline, and he had in parentheses next to Bobby Wood Jr.'s name a top 20 guy. So I was curious about, you know, because obviously every, different publications, different people have their own opinions on, you know, how they rate guys, especially uh, prep guys. There's a lot more variance. There's a lot more uh, kind of room for error when it comes to what these guys can end up being. And even him being an older high school guy, there's still a lot of question about, you know, what he can be. Obviously, the potential is there. But, you know, so I'll ask you about this because – the I've heard concerns about the hit tool with him. Uh, obviously, high school guys, it's a little bit different, a little harder to, to put a pin into. But how do you feel about, do you think he'll be able to hit enough to provide enough value with the power and the speed and the feeling that he, he comes with? Do you think that that tool is going to lag at all? Or do you think you know he'll be able to catch up with it somehow? 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm less concerned about the hit tool than I've read others um, sort of in the in the Twitter sphere. Uh, I think it got overblown a little bit. He he's been on um, he's been on scouting radars for, for three or four years now. He you know, I, I first time I saw him was in Jupiter when he was a sophomore. That was the fall of his sophomore year. And he was playing uh, for a, I think it was the Rangers scout team travel ball team. And uh, he stood out then. Uh, so this is a guy who has had these skills for a long time as an underclassman was playing with, uh, you know, kids two years, his senior, and, and not only holding his own, but standing out. He did have a, a rough patch last summer on the showcase circuit. He was kind of overpowered with, with velocity uh, at a number of events. Um, to, to me, those any concerns that kind of bubbled up from that largely went away with his showing with the USA uh, collegiate team or uh, uh, 18 and under national team that, that played in November. Um, you know, the USA clubs is generally uh, a fair bit better than the international competition, but also uh, this, this team is, is, uh, is one that scrimmaged against some college teams down in Florida. He looked great. Um, you know, is he going to be a 330 hitter? I, I, I'm not going to put my money on that. But someone who could certainly be a, a at a minimum like a 260, 270, 280 hitter that's going to hit you 25 plus home runs a year um, as sort of a baseline, and I think that there's there's room to go a lot higher than that. But that's you know I, I'm fairly confident he's going to get to where he needs to be to be a solid uh, you know solid average hit tool guy. Okay, cool. So the next part of this that you know, obviously he signed yesterday became official. Uh, with the Kansas City Royals, and he signed for the full slot value of his pick at number two at seven million or seven million seven hundred eighty-nine thousand, and he got that value. And there's, you know, the fan base seemed kind of split, especially on social media. Of there were some fans that wanted to see the Royals maybe go under a little bit with him, uh, just because he's a high school guy, and they maybe think they could get him for less, even at that number two pick. Then there's some also another percentage of the fan base, and I kind of say on this one where. I don't look at it as a as big a deal as some people do. I think they the Royals got their guy; they're confident in him. So why not give him that full value? What? Where do you kind of sit on the Royals giving him full slot? Is it a big deal, or do you think it's maybe just overblown? I think it's overblown. I think uh, he's talented enough to warrant that type of a bonus. And there's zero question in my mind that the White Sox would have gobbled him up. They're only about. 500,000 behind the Royals and bonus pool allotment. So, you know, they had the ability to give comparable money there. Um, usually when you see someone drafted early that agrees to a lower amount, you're giving, you're, you're basically agreeing to that amount, uh, ahead of time, even though it's against the rules. Um, you know, you're coming to an understanding that the market value for you right now is X dollars. Um, and, and so it's it's a little bit fast and loose, but essentially what what it comes down to is let's say you had a guy who was not getting any interest inside of the top ten, but at the eleven pick there was interest. That's four and a half million dollars for that bonus. That's what you would kind of ascribe to being his market value. Um, so if you're going to go with someone like that, maybe you give him that four point five plus a little bit of a bump since you're signing him early, and you get you know a, a drastic underslot signing there. But for someone who had a case to go one overall in, in the opinions of many scouting directors and uh, someone who certainly was ready to be gobbled up by teams behind him. I, I, I think a, a slot signing is absolutely reasonable. Okay. 
Okay, yeah. Like I said, I think it's an overblown thing. I didn't think it was necessarily a big deal. Uh, the Royals got their guy. He's a guy that they've had their eye on for a long time. And with him being linked to him for that long, you kind of had a feeling the Royals were going to give him full slot value. And they did. And like I said, I don't think it was much of an issue considering the only guy that's left from their top 10 picks for the slot money allotment uh, goes to is Brady McConnell. And that one, I feel like, will happen in the next couple of days. And I feel like he will be a Kansas City Royal as well. So it didn't necessarily, it hasn't necessarily affected any of their other picks with that pool money. So. If it did, then I would maybe have a little bit of an issue. But for the most part, you know, their other their other top ten picks are all going to rookie ball and beyond. So it didn't it didn't affect uh, everything the way some people probably thought. I imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's a limit to how much you're going. You're not going to get Bobby Witt Jr. at enough of an underslot where it's going to massively increase your ability later on in the draft. Um, you know, maybe you, you get him for the number three value. Maybe let's say you, you negotiate him down to that 7.2 million and he's fine with that just to go number two. I, I don't think you, you could have done that, but let's say hypothetically you could have, um, that $500,000 is great. Maybe you spread it around for one other, you know, significant overslot signing in the top 10 rounds, um, or a couple, sort of $150,000 to $175,000, $200,000 signings after the 10th round, the caliber of player you're getting there is generally not going to be enough to make up for the difference between wit and whoever you're, um, you know. It, it's, not, it's not worth the risk of um, complicating negotiations. Uh, it's, it, I, just, I, I, I view it as negligible. It's great to get, you know, an extra guy down the draft, unless there are guys, you, the, the very specific amount you need to save that 500,000. I don't think you do it by playing around with wit up top and you could save that 500,000 also by going under slot later on with some senior signs. And there are other ways to make up that money and you can go over your, uh, your 7.7 with, without, uh, incurring losses of picks up to a certain amount as well. So yeah, all in, it just, it's not enough of, you weren't going to save enough. I don't think for this to be a, a significant, uh, put to significant use elsewhere similar to what you saw like the Mets do for example okay so then what do you like as I mentioned with the rest of the Royals draft at least in those you know top 10 but as I continue to look down the Royals last season went really college heavy especially early on taking five college pitchers and I, I don't think they took their first high school guy until the 13th or 14th round and then again this year the Royals once again went extremely heavy into college I believe their first high school pick was round 16 and even then they may I don't think they took more than five or six high school guys and the major league draft as a whole 51 of the first 78 picks were college guys are the Royals taking this to an extreme trying to go for the college player and the kind of the higher floor maybe lower ceiling type player or is this something that we're starting to see a shift in player evaluation where teams are wanting to take the when in doubt, take the college player over the extreme variance you can sometimes see with a prep player. I think there are a couple different things at play here. I think uh, analytics departments are much better at identifying um, sort of baseline outcomes for collegiate players. Nowadays, I think there's a lot more certainty in what you're getting out of a collegiate player than there is a high school player, certainly, as you point out. Uh, the high school class was was relatively thin this year compared to what we've seen in previous years and certainly what we're seeing out of the 2020 class already. Uh, so I, I think there was a, there were a lot of different 
factors at play here. It doesn't shock me that, that they took tons of college players. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily indicates that they're trying to push, you know, grab players that are closer to the big leagues simply because they, they'll realize uh, on that asset more quickly than they otherwise would. They, they you know, they pick guys that, that look like good fits for their rounds. And they picked a bunch of bunch of my Midwest guys. So, I mean, they, as far as I'm concerned, I, I had fun. I, I thought it was a fun draft. A lot of names that uh, I got to see up close in the Midwest this year. So. Uh, it seemed like a, a solid draft to me. It didn't seem like it was um, overly ambitious, uh, and, and that can be good and bad. Sometimes you want to have an ambitious draft that takes a, a couple of big flyers. I think here they had the big fish at the top and Bobby Witt Jr., uh, and after that, you know, you're not going to have tons of extra money to, to spread around elsewhere. They did, I thought, a, a very reasonable job of, of identifying good quality talent that's going to, you know, stands a good chance to be uh, useful pieces for them in their system. Okay. So before we kind of, I mentioned I want to kind of get into the under the radar guys that I'm kind of curious, but who are some guys that at least you were able to see or know of from the Royals draft that you are pretty high on and think could maybe move through the system either quickly or kind of make a name for themselves early on? Well, okay. Well, it's a good question. I think uh, starting in the fifth round with uh, John Rave out of Illinois State, really talented uh, guy. Saw him on the Cape, saw him this spring. Outfielder, can run, can play defense, can hit. He's got a little bit of juice in his bat. The arm is uh, is fine. It's a little – It's a, I, I'd grade it out as maybe average, uh, but um, not like if he were to ever shift over to a corner – not necessarily the arm I'd want to have in right field, though I think he could probably handle it. Uh, was an excellent offensive uh, producer for Illinois State. Does a little bit of everything well. Runs the bases well. Um, heady runner. He's going to be a, a positive contributor in a bunch of different facets. There'll be a question as to uh, you know his contact ability, whether he can make enough quality hard contact to uh, to do damage. His power grade is going to kind of tie to that hit tool and. And uh, it's going to determine whether he ultimately evolves into like a doubles guy that can, uh, you know, profiles as like a fourth outfielder. If everything clicks, you could see him as being a uh, sort of an everyday player in the future. But um, getting that talent in the fifth round, I thought was great. He was a little inconsistent on the Cape for me, but put together enough in the way of solid uh, at bats and, and took real nice BPs. You saw the strength there. I think it's a, a good that that's that's the type of gamble I like to see in the fifth round. I thought he was a a, a nice guy to target there. Yeah, he was a guy that I kind of gravitated to right away once the Royals drafted him, and I saw some film. He reminds me a lot of the pick the Royals made last year with Kyle Isbell out of UNLV, right in that same early day two pick, left-handed hitter, kind of just toolsy, just kind of fits that Royals mold that you kind of see with some of the, especially with college guys, but just a guy that's that doesn't do one thing extremely well, but does a lot of things really, you know, average to better. And I think he's a guy that can, can maybe make that jump like Kyle Isbell did last year from kind of a, even a relative unknown in a certain sense from that third or fourth round pick to a legitimate top 10 guy in the system. I don't know if he can, I don't know if John Rave can necessarily make that type of jump, but he reminds me of that kind of player. And that seems to fit in the Royals organization and they know how to develop guys like that. Yeah. And, and, there's a similarity there as well with Isbell and that both of them had, had strong Cape showings. Okay. Uh, and both of them had kind of, they had, 
statistically strong showings, but also struggled at times over the summer to the point where it, it caused some people to, to question, you know, okay, well, they, you know, they're doing it with wood, but how consistently are they going to be do it? Are they going to do it? Is there really enough power here? You know, some, some similar questions there. So I like, I, I like the comp. That's a, that's, a, I think that's a fair comp. And, and from a profile standpoint, they probably, uh, line up similarly with, uh, you know, the algorithms folks are using to, to put these college performers in buckets. So that's a, I, I, I like that. So as I mentioned previously, the Royals did a ton when it came to college pitching last season, obviously with their first five picks and even beyond that, they continued with college pitchers. Who are a couple of guys that you, you think can kind of keep up with the wave of what we're seeing with the Royals college pitchers and Bubich and Kowar, uh, obviously singer and double a, uh, Daniel Lynch, Jonathan Heasley are really some guys that have been able to make a name for themselves this year. But do you think, you know, Alec Marsh, Grant Gambrell, Dante Biasi, Nor- Noah Murdoch, any of those guys can kind of push their way up toward the top uh, with those guys, like I mentioned uh, before? Yeah, I mean, um, there's slightly different profiles here when you're, when you're comparing them to the, the first rounders that, that the Royals picked last year, right? But there, there there's some good arms here. I like Marsh. He threw out of uh, out of Arizona State. Solid stuff. It, it profiles more as a, a back end arm for me, uh, but it's it's good. It's um, you know a, uh, he can get uh, get up into like the ninety four ninety five range with his fastball, but usually works kind of more in the low nineties. Uh, it's got a quality slider, quality changeup. Um, the changeup, I think there's, there's room to really grow that out because he shows feel for it, but maybe wasn't as aggressive with it as as he could be, and the Royals could work with him there. Uh, you know, that's a, a potential number four guy for you. Um, I like uh, Dante Biasi. He's a Michigan State guy. Wasn't uh, what wasn't uh, the strongest spring for him from a performance standpoint, but he's got big stuff. He can throw up into the mid 90s. Might be a relief profile long term. Another Midwest arm they picked in the twelfth round is Adam Lucas out of Evansville. He's got a real big arm, um, easily sits in the mid nineties, and and he broke triple digits for for us this this uh, this spring. Slider kind of comes and goes, but he's a big strikeout arm, big time velocity, and that's uh you know something that a dev staff can really work with. So there's a, there's a, a chance here to develop uh, some solid contributors. Justin Hooper is a name you might remember. He's a, a UCLA. Uh, um, UCLA arm that uh, got some first round attention three years ago, ended up going to school and dealt with a little bit with some injuries, underperformance, things didn't really come together, but still a big physical guy who can uh, who can bring it. So that's another one that the dev staff, I'm sure, will look to see what they can what they can tweak out of that profile. There, there are a lot of good candidates here to try and find uh, future contributors out of. There's no one here that I'd put on par with like Coar or um singer you know guys that have legit stuff that if you see if if you can picture the profile evolving in the right way you get like maybe a mid-rotation starter out of it um i don't think these arms are uh, at the same developmental point uh, on that level but certainly there are arms here i think who are going to emerge and could potentially be you know good relief options in the future or even back end of the rotation guys okay last question i'll ask you here just you know, kind of round out the class. If there's anybody that you think is maybe kind of under the radar that could break out in a big way, either you know maybe this season in rookie ball, or will maybe gain a little bit of attention among Royals fans by next season. Under the radar, I mean, I guess I would say I'd be surprised if there were many Royals fans that were familiar with Rave 
kind of coming into draft day. If you're following the draft, maybe where he didn't, as far as I saw, he didn't rank super high on, on most national publications. We had him in our 125, and, and he ended up going kind of around the, the range that, that we graded him out there. I think he's a, I think the profile is better than a fifth round profile, though I understand why he went there. I think that's someone who could uh, probably not this year, but next year uh, with with some pro ball under his belt, kind of take a, a step forward, and we could see pretty quickly whether this is a guy that's going to develop into an everyday player, or if uh, if it's going to take some time and, and the profile looks more like a fourth outfielder. So I like I like Rave there. I think Michael Massey, who they took in the fourth round, um, will grow on Royals fans. I, I, th- I think he's a good guy to root for. He's an excellent defender. He's got a good feel for the barrel. He's a fun guy to watch play. He's a real, uh, you know, get in the dirt and roll around kind of player. So uh, I think I think folks will have a good time and a fun time following him. Um, you know, this isn't sort of a future perennial all star, but he's a, he's a, a lot of fun to watch. He's a great baseball player. He's going to be a, a valuable uh, commodity for them up the middle there at second base. Provide really good defense and a, a top of the order type bat uh, in full season ball form. All right, awesome. Well, that's all I have for you. Nick, thank you very much for joining us uh, today over at Royals Farm Report. We really appreciate the uh, the analysis and the evaluation here. Uh, obviously, you know, over at 2080, you know, you guys do great work. I'm happy to be a small part of it. Uh, but really, it's we really do appreciate the time today. Yeah, absolutely, Joel. And, and uh, you got a, a key look for us uh, uh, in the Missouri series late in the year. So uh, uh, more than a small part. But, uh, yeah, definitely come check out 2080baseball.com. Uh, we've already got 2020 coverage in full swing. Burke Granger, uh, one of my partners over there at 2080, is out in Arizona for the Perfect Game National Showcase, which is the kickoff to the the summer sh- uh, showcase circuit for high schoolers. Tons of video on the way, write ups on the way. So yeah, come come hang out and talk uh, 2020 with us. And Joel, thanks for uh, thanks for your help this spring. All right, absolutely. Thank you very much, Nick. All right, talk to you later, sir.